to, to bless this time once again. Father God, we just ask, Lord, for your word to speak to us this morning. Would your word just cut through all the noise? Would your word... <laughs> Lord, minister to us so deeply. Would you guys just take a minute? I, I ask you to do this every once in a while. Would you guys just take a minute and pray for me before we begin that I would hear the Lord's voice and speak what he has for us this morning? Whew, thank you, Jesus. Lord, that's what we want. We wanna hear from you. God, we thank you. We pray it in your mighty, mighty name. Amen and amen. All right, thank you for that. Woo. Sometimes I just feel like, you know, I gotta, I gotta get it out. <laughs> so the title is Royal Blue. Um, I would encourage you, if you can, to take notes this morning, even if you're not a note taker. Um, grab one of those bulletins if you can and flip it around on the other side. The title is Royal Blue this morning. And that's a little strange, I know, at the beginning. But I, I love the title at the end. So just hang in there with me. Today we're talking about God's power to turn our past into something beautiful in our future. That you may be in a place today with something in your past. Maybe it was something that you did or something that was done to you, a circumstance or a situation that came into your life. But the thing is, it's not in the past. Uh, it's, it's very much in the present and it still has a hold on you at this very moment, not just like I remember it or I can see how God is redeeming it, but it is absolutely a deficit in your life in the present moment, even though it happened a year ago or maybe 20 years ago. And, and what I believe God wants to say to every one of us in this room who's got that story, and really that's all of us to, to some degree, what God wants to say to, today to us is that, our past doesn't define us. I mean, we've, we've been saying that through this, this whole comeback journey. Our past prepares us for what God has for us to do in life because God is in the business of redeeming our broken past and our painful and sometimes even rebellious past and use it for a greater purpose in our future story. We're beginning today with probably the most profound phrase um, ever spoken by a human being on the planet Earth. And I know that's a big statement. We've talked about it before. I've mentioned it before, but we're dialing way back to the beginning, the book of Genesis. It's Joseph's story, which we've, we've told in this series. And I just wanna reach back for the conclusion of his story today. So if you're not sure which Joseph we're talking about, just really quickly, really quickly, <laughs> not that quickly. I need to be able to say the words. <laughs> If you're not sure which Joseph we're talking about, we're talking about the son who had many brothers. It's the Technicolor Dreamcoat guy, um, the second youngest who was favored by his father who had a vision from God. But because of that, he was hated by his brothers. And just to kind of scrunch Joseph's story all the way up from his adolescent years, all the way to um, when he was 30 years, his life was a washout. You know, he, by, by circumstances that he didn't even have control over. So his, his brothers resented him, so they threw him in a pit. Um, eventually, they decided that they would sell him to gypsies that are passing by. And so we asked the question, you know, have you ever felt like that in your life? Um, where all of a sudden you're just cruising through life and then somebody made a decision that absolutely changed your destiny. The gypsies thought, you know, we'll just upsell him and they took him to Egypt and they sold him on the slavery block and um, he was bought by one of the rulers in Egypt to be a servant in his home. Um, he excelled in that because he was a faithful guy. Um, he rose to the top of all of the servants in that man's home only to be falsely accused by his wife of, of trying to assault her when in fact she was the one who was wanting to take advantage of him. He honored his boss, his ruler, and he rebuffed the advances, but then she called him into question and said that he was the one who made the move on her and had him thrown in prison. And so uh, he stayed in prison probably longer than needed. <laughs> From our perspective, right? There, there was a man, a cupbearer, who had come down from the court into the prison. He had a dream one day. Joseph said to him, uh, you know, God speaks to me. I'm, I'm gonna tell you your dream. And, and can you go back to the ruler up there? And when you do, just remember me when you get up there that I'm the guy that interpreted your dream. And all of that happened. All of that happened. But when the cupbearer got back into the court of the ruler, he forgot about Joseph. So Joseph 
adolescence, his 20s were just kind of a washout. Um, and they were, and, and, but one day, Joseph Boss had a dream, remember the story. He couldn't get it in by anybody in Egypt. And finally, the cupbearer said, oh, oh, hey, yeah, uh, there's a kid, a young guy down in the prison. You should talk to him, right? So Joseph, he comes up and he interprets the Pharaoh's dream. And what's the interpretation? There's, there's going to be seven years of plenty followed by seven years of famine. And the ruler was so blown away by the end. He said, that's it. And not only is that it, but I'm, I'm going to put you in charge of everything. If everything that happens in our country in the next seven years of plenty so that you can ensure, you can help us ensure that we have what we need in the seven years of famine. And so talk about a comeback. I mean, in one day, Joseph went from the prison to the palace in one day. Yeah, I got a woo. <laughs> one day. So eventually the dream plays out. Joseph stores up enough resources for the seven years of famine that are coming. The famine hits, Egypt is spared, and now the pinch is on the neighboring countries. And guess who ends up coming to Egypt for food? Right, Joseph's brothers, and they are starving and they have to humble themselves under the mercy of the ruler that they come to. And they show up completely unaware that the guy in charge is gonna be the same brother that they left in a hole and they sold the gypsies. And when Joseph sees them, come in. Can you just get in touch what he was probably feeling in his gut? <laughs> That's another series, you know, it's, 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 it's the, this is the perfect setup, not for a comeback. This would be a different series. This would be called the payback, <laughs> right? And now, you know, they're about to get what they deserve. And when they figure it out, when they realize that the guy in charge is their brother, they just, they go crazy. They, they beg for mercy. And then Joseph says, I think the most profound thing that a human being has ever said in almost any situation, it's found in Genesis chapter 50, verse 20. We read it at the beginning. It says this, we know this verse. Even if you haven't been in church, you've probably heard a version of it. Joseph says to his brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. You intended evil. You know, he didn't gloss over it. I'm glad that he didn't. He didn't say, oh, guys, you know, don't worry about it. <laughs> he said, hey, when you sold me out, you intended that for evil. When you came up with that plan and you shredded my robe and you covered with the animal's blood and took it home and told dad that maybe an animal had killed me on the road, when you faked all your grief at my funeral service, when you lied all of those years about what happened, you intended to hurt me. In fact, there's a couple of you, I heard you from down in the pit. You wanted to kill me and not even put me in the pit. You intended all of this for evil. And that's where we are today. Maybe you're the one who intended it for evil. You know, maybe it was your decision. Maybe somebody else intended it for evil. Maybe it was just evil itself that kind of came up against you, intended to harm you. But Joseph said, God meant it for good. In every, in every comeback story, we, and we've gone through a lot now. There is a but God in the middle of the story. <laughs> uh, you know, Joseph is saying, you, got, you meant it for good. You, you may have a plan to harm me, but God the whole time had a plan for good. And the comeback that Joseph talked about wasn't just simply, you know, look at me, I'm doing good. I'm second in command of all of Egypt. I'm running the show, <laughs> right? This is, this is how it all boys. That's not the way Joseph was thinking. And that's what makes this statement so amazing to me. He said, you meant it for evil against me, but God meant it for good. So here comes the theme of our message. I'll just give it to you right now. The verse says to bring about this present result. In other words, all, all, all the time through all that happened in the past, God was thinking about the result that he was going to bring about in the future. Wasn't that just what Bill was saying up here? So in all the disastrous twists and turns in your story, God was thinking about how he was gonna open up something more amazing in the future. What, what is that saying? Is that saying, we said this last week, our setbacks could possibly be in God's hands a set up in our lives? A set up for him to use us in ways that would... <laughs> probably blow our minds. 
And, and Joseph says, you know, what you intended to harm me with, God intended for good to bring about a different result. And here's the result. God meant it to bring about that many people would be kept alive. And so when his brothers, I mean, think about this. When his brothers threw him in that hole, God was looking at his brothers and saying, I'm actually gonna save you by this act. That's how big our God is. <laughs> We've come to worship today. You, that you meant evil against me. What does that look like in all of our lives? It looks like something different for all of us, but we have these twists and turns, these disappointments, um, these unseen cliffs and crevices, darkness, depression, distance, disillusionment, death, divide, abuse, absence, attack, betrayal. I mean, there's so many things, sickness, misfortune, uh, miscalculation, deserts, failure, and even our own rebellion, they're in our stories. And in some cases, you know, it's, we pulled the trigger, but in a lot of cases, we had no control. You know, the things that were crashing into a lot of our past was beyond our control. But here we are now with all of these things that, you know, you intended it to harm me and we have them kind of dominoing, going going into our self-confidence and into our self-worth and into our ability to believe with hope about our future. Anybody? I mean, that's, I've, I've, man, I've, I've experienced that. But today we have rallied around at Destiny Foursquare Church, the fact that Jesus gave his life for us. He's the headline, right? And God raised him back up. And because of that, we are rallying around the central idea that God can take anything in our lives and use it to bring about a result in our lives in the present and in the future that is far greater than anything that we can imagine. Your past doesn't have to define you. And God's plan today is that your past simply prepared you for a greater purpose, which God wants to bring about in your life. Now, Joseph is like you and me, and I think he had some turnaround moments in life, and that's where we're going today. And I, and I think we're gonna have we are gonna to have to have some turnaround moments in life if we're gonna onboard today with the hope of what God is wanting to say. And so the first turnaround moment on your notes for us is this. We've come, we have to come to believe that the circumstances of our past don't circumvent God from accomplishing his purposes for our lives. We have to come to believe that the circumstances of our past don't circumvent God from accomplishing his purposes for our lives. We add it up that way in human terms. Well, I was on track with God, but then this happened, and then that's gonna disqualify me from moving on. I, I was thinking God had a good plan for me, but then this happened, and once that happened, I'm disqualified from what God you know, may want to do in my life in the future. But what we have to see today is that our past doesn't circumvent God's sovereign plan for our lives. Whatever our past may be, it doesn't stop him. So Romans 8, 28, it's, a, it's, an, it's an anchor text for us as believers, but in the middle of it is a gold mine of the sovereign will of God. And, and, and a lot of us, we, we, we know this verse, but I want, us, I want to rally us back around it again today. So Romans 8, beginning in verse 28, this is the thinking of people who've had this moment in life where they've had a turning point of believing that circumstances in life don't circumvent God from accomplishing his purposes in our lives, okay? And so it says, and we know, say those three words with me, please. And we know. This is where we want to get today. We're, we're, all in, we're all in this journey to get this point. Not we feel, we think, we heard, we know. We've come to a turning point in where we know something. And what do we know? We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purposes. Now, the first part of this verse is enough for us to live live on for the rest of our lives. I mean, if we just stopped, if we just simply say, and we know that in all things God works, do we believe that today? That in, that in all things God works, it doesn't mean that in every single thing God is excited or happy or that God even loves the result. It just means that in everything, God still works. There's never a moment 
in your life where God says, oh goodness, I'm out. You know, there's never a moment for you where God says, oh man, didn't see that coming, I'm out. When, when they put Joseph in the pit, you know what he said? I'm working. <laughs> when, the, when, the, when they sell him to the gypsies, they said, I can work with the gypsies. And, and when the gypsies are gonna sell him in Egypt, God says, I can work with Potiphar. When Potiphar's wife's gonna falsely accuse him, I can use that because I need to get him down in the jail. <laughs> well, when he got in the jail, Joseph was forgotten, right? It felt like he was forgotten. And God said, I know, but the time isn't right because Pharaoh hasn't had the dream yet. So I need him to just stay until Pharaoh has the dream. And then that's gonna be the right time for me to work. Because listen, I'm working in the pit and I'm working with the gypsies and I'm working with Potiphar and I'm working with the false accusation. And I'm working in the pain. I'm working in the prison. I'm working when you feel forgotten. And I'm gonna be working when Pharaoh calls him up into the palace and saves a whole nation. He's going to save his brothers and his father and his whole family. I'm going to be working. And so whatever it is, I know you keep on hearing me say this, but I'm going to keep on saying it. Whatever it is in your life, God is looking at that circumstance and saying, I can work with that. I'm working even in that. I'm already writing a bigger story in your life. It doesn't mean that we're careless with our lives, that we're cavalier with our decisions. I'm, I'm gonna do this because, well, God can work with anything, you know? No, I, it just means that once our reality is, is what it is, is that God doesn't sign off at some point and say, say, oh man, well, that's really gonna stop me from what I wanted to do in your life. What Paul is saying in this verse is, we know, I know, that in all things, God works. We don't see in all things how God is working, but we know in all things that God is working. Over time and through his experience, Joseph, you know, through, through all of those kind of washout years, he's coming back on the other side and he's saying to us, I've come to understand this, that circumstances in life don't circumvent God from accomplishing his purpose. We've said this before, but your pain and your brokenness can be leveraged for the good of a multitude of people. And God is in the business of doing just that in our lives. And it's interesting that Joseph didn't give us here a, a comprehensive, like philosophical and theological overview of the situation, because that is kind of like what we want, right? He didn't answer all of our questions like, well, if God's a good God, then why didn't he just take you straight to Pharaoh, right? He could have done it that way. Why do, you, why do you have to go the long way in the pit and the prison and all of that route to get there? He doesn't answer all the big questions we wanna ask. He just says, let me give you the conclusion of all that's just happened. The conclusion is in all things, God works. You can count on that reality. And, and that's what Paul is amplifying here. In all things, God works and he works. Look at it here. All things work together for the good for those who are called according to his purpose. Now, what is his purpose for you and me? He answers that. His, his purpose for us, for those whom God foreknew, he also predestined, and here it comes, to be conformed to his image and his image is love. Yeah, to become like him, to become like Jesus. In other words, what you were created for ultimately and what I was created for ultimately was to come to this place into the very likeness of Jesus himself, that we would take on our spiritual legacy and that through grace and through the work of Holy Spirit, that we would mature into people who look like and act like and walk like and talk like on planet earth, Jesus. That's that, that Jesus would be the firstborn, but that there would be a lot of us behind him becoming right? We're becoming, not becoming Jesus, but becoming like him. And God is promising you today, nothing that has happened to you can stop me from accomplishing my purposes for you. Nothing. Because in all things, God works. You're like, man, that just sounds like a big load of preacher talk. 
Because I mean, maybe, you know, when you're up in, in, in the, the monastery during the week with your preacher friends and you're meditating on scripture and, and, you know, singing with the angels and you're talking amongst yourselves, it's like, oh yes, God works in all things. <laughs> but Sean, come down to the reality here in real life, get in touch with the rest of us and what you're saying doesn't add up on a broken planet. And so let me just take a step back and let's just say, let's let the author who penned this phrase, all things work together for good under the inspiration of Holy Spirit, Let's let him unpack this reality, okay? I, I want us to look at this. I want us to see this. We know this about him. His name is Paul. Just really quick. We also know this about his story. He used to be named Saul, right? And I think most of you know Paul's story from getting from Saul to Paul. He was born into a Jewish family. He was born into the right Jewish family. Um, he had the best Jewish education and he rose to the ranks, uh, the top of the Jews that were teachers of the law. He had everything stacked in his favor in that system of life. And we know that he had this big personality. And at the end of the day, when Jesus appeared as Messiah, we know that Saul rejected Jesus as Messiah. And so he became this huge antichrist voice after Jesus' death and resurrection and tried to kill anybody who wanted to push the gospel forward. He became a persecutor of Christianity. And, but he had an encounter with Jesus. I know we're just kind of going through the story really fast. He had a vision and he became a follower of Jesus. And when we realized, he realized that Jesus really was the son of God. And then he was given the mission by Jesus of sharing the gospel and then spreading the gospel to the known world. So he was the first missionary of the Christian faith, this Saul converted to Paul guy. And so let's think about it for a second. Saul had a personality type. What was it? Like bold and brash. You know, we know that by looking at him before he met Jesus, he was a go-getter. He was a high achiever. So who would you want to take on the mission of spreading the gospel to the known world? You, you would look for somebody who is bold and brash, who was a go-getter and was a high achiever. And God picked out the right guy, right? His past was leveraged for his future. When he met Jesus, he didn't turn into a meek and mild guy. He was just a redeemed version of that guy. And, and so God was saying, I need a bold and brash go-getter and a high achiever to take on the mission of spreading the gospel to the known world. So I'm gonna use his religious background and his Jewish upbringing to proclaim the gospel to the Jewish people. So his religious background and education were at the top of the Jewish world. And, and when he would go to the cities, there would be pockets of Jews that were already there. And he would go to the synagogue immediately, right? That was the first place he kind of went to. And, 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 and to the smartest of them, to all the religious leaders, to the teachers of the law. And he would walk in and he would flash his Pharisee card. Hi, I got it all. Same school, same education, same background. You've been talking about the law for a while. Great, let's just unpack it. You know, <laughs> he unpacks it all. And they were like, this guy is good. And then he would turn the cover and say, you know, you've heard about him who was crucified. Let me tell you how he fulfills every bit of the law and the prophets. And let me explain it to you in detail. And let me tell you my personal story and how I've come to know him and I've seen him and he's changed my life and he is real and he is the son of God. So think about it. Who could go into synagogues and win over the people in the synagogues, but somebody who comes from the synagogues? And so God was saying, hey, your past didn't disqualify you from being used by me. It's actually setting you up to be used by me. And when you become a follower of Jesus, he doesn't want to uh, do a complete system refresh. He's saying, let me take what is and leverage it for what can be in the future. In his family situation, Paul was a single guy. So that's great. You know, I, I, wanna, I wanna make you the first missionary. That doesn't mean that married people can't be missionaries, but you know, He's saying to him, you're gonna cover more ground than would be covered otherwise because you're single. And I'm gonna leverage your singleness, Paul, for the calling that I'm giving you. He, he had been anti-Christ. So who would make a better person to stand up now and proclaim the transforming power of Christ? And I love this. Listen, I mean, think about this. He had a history. In Acts, it says when an innocent man named Stephen, remember that whole story? A follower of Jesus was killed for his faith that Saul stood right there and oversaw the whole thing. And so we know this in his story every day, but think about it. Every day that he wrote about grace and every day that he preached about grace, it wasn't just him telling the story of something. It was him oozing the reality of something. 
And, and the apostle Paul, who wrote most of the New Testament, oversaw the murder of innocent people. And every day when he woke up, he realized where God's grace had brought him. And who better to break open the story of the mercy of the gospel of Jesus than someone who every single day breathed, breathed that mercy in and through his own life. So I'm not just standing here to tell you that the circumstances of your past don't circumvent God from accomplishing his purposes in your lives. I'm not just preaching that, that in all things God works. Let Paul tell you today that our past doesn't have to define us. In fact, it can prepare us for what God wants to do. The second big turning point that we'll have to come to in, uh, in this is, is the proof of God's power over the past ultimately is best seen in the cross of Jesus. So it's really not even a comeback story. You know, we, we've, we've shared some amazing ones here, but it's, it's not your comeback story or my comeback story or Saul's comeback story or Paul's comeback story or, or Joseph's comeback story. Ultimately, the proof of God's power to take the past and make it amazing is found in the cross. But what happened there in the past is actually the thing that gives us the possibility of having a brand new future. Come on, somebody. Oh, in fact, you know, it couldn't be said more clearly than through the prophet Isaiah, and it was repeated in 1 Peter in the New Testament. You know the verse, by his wounds you have been healed. And so God is showing us on the cross, I'm in charge. So maybe the enemy intended it for harm, but guess what? <laughs> I intend it for good. And even in this, even in this circumstance, I'm working in all things, God works. So guess what? Drive the nails in, put a spear in his side, put a crown of thorns on head, I'm working. Mock him, I'm working. Let him suffocate and die. I am working the whole time. I'm at work right before you and I'm using the past of Jesus on the cross to change your future forever. By his wounds, you have been healed. Going back to Joseph for a moment, I, I, there's just, Joseph is a great name. The Hebrew meaning of that name is where God is adding or giving increase. So think about that. When Joseph was sold to the gypsies, God was saying, I'm just giving increase to the nations, to all the nations. When they took Jesus' body off the cross, they put it in a tomb. Do you remember whose tomb it was? Joseph of Arimatheus, right? And so when they put him in Joseph's tomb, God was saying, I'm giving and adding the increase. And Jesus' earthly father, what was his name? The guy that was hanging out with Mary? <laughs> his name was Joseph. So when they got the news from the angel, which totally derailed their plans for life, but wow, was God ever giving and adding the increase through Joseph and Mary when Holy Spirit saw the baby in her womb. The cross is big enough to show us God's power and to cover our past. Whatever it is, whatever you've done and whatever has been done to you, it's been covered through the work of the cross. But it's more than that. <laughs> I'm just a little bit excited. It's more than, I want you to really pay attention here, okay? Got your attention? The cross, when we see it, when we have that big turning point around the cross, we can come to the realization that God actually takes the pain, all this stuff from the past, and he will paint with it something beautiful in the future. I was reading in the past couple of weeks about pigments and paint, and I was thinking about um, you know, God taking things that are broken and using them for something that's beautiful. And um, I've been telling you that I, I, I've been reading Louis Giglio's comeback book as uh, inspiration for this when I was in sabbatical. And he stumbled upon this uh, pigment from the Renaissance area called ultramarine blue. Um, it was considered the most precious color of the day. In fact, when you see paintings of Mary, the mother of Jesus, the, this woman who had, you know, a fiance and a plan and a hope and a dream, and then all of a sudden she got a message from an angel that Holy Spirit had conceived a baby in her womb. I mean, try that in the neighborhood, right? I mean, all of a sudden her life just completely took a turn that nobody saw coming, that she didn't see coming. And you're like, yeah, but she's the mother of Jesus. You know, that was amazing. Yes, she did. But that was also an up and down life of perplexed living. And then she stood there when they crucified her son. 
And so whenever you see her painted in the Renaissance period, her cloak is always painted, in most cases, in ultramarine blue. This color was only reserved for Mary, the mother of Jesus, an angel, or a character of deity. So here's a great example of that. I wanted to show you this painting. This is from Sassafrado in, in 1654. And, and I mean, look, I mean, this, this painting, this was painted in 1654. I mean, that's crazy in and of itself. But look at that color. That ultramarine blue is just out, royal blue is what the color was eventually called. Royal blue. So the question is, where did Sassafrado get the, the royal blue? So this pigment is made from a crushed gem that looks like this in its crushed form. And this gem is called lapis lazuli. And you may have heard the word lapis before. It's in scripture in a bunch of places. It's a very precious gem. And this particular stone was mined out of Afghanistan and, and had, been, had been mined for centuries and millennia, even before Jesus' time. So in the Renaissance period, lapis lazuli was more valuable than gold because of its rare beauty and its desired effect by the painters of the day. So you can look at famous painters, um, uh, Vermeer, and, and you know, all of these in the Renaissance, many of them used this lapis lazuli, which, is, which produced this ultramarine blue or this royal blue. And what's interesting about that <laughs> is that it's called royal blue, but it's not because the royals or the dynasties of the world would get painted in it. It's because Mary, the mother of Jesus, and the angels got painted in it. It was a precious color reserved for the very best. And it came from the pulverizing and the crushing of a valuable gem. That's the picture of the cross. Right? It's the place where the Son of God was crushed and pulverized. But in the crushing and in the pulverizing, God made a pigment. And with the pigment of royal blue, he has painted the story of redemption. Yes, I mean, there, it was crimson red that flowed there, but it's also the story of our capacity to be reconnected to God Almighty. That's what God is doing. You, you, you might say, Sean, you know, I can identify with the power. That was my dream. That was my marriage. That was, that was my job. That was my business. That was my health. That was my self-confidence. That is what I had. But now it's just a pulverized pile of nothing. And God is saying, no, that nothing can become the pigment by which I can paint a beautiful story. That's the big turnaround. That's the cross, that in the middle of our story is a cross. And the cross reminds us today of God's power over our past. And then there's one last big turnaround for each one of us, and it's simply this. The third turning point is the place where we do understand that our circumstances don't circumvent God, and we do understand that the cross is proof of God's power over the past. But the third one is so necessary for you and me because it's the turnaround moment it's the turnaround point uh, where, where you and I realize that it's not about us. It's not about us, but it's all about God using us for a greater purpose in our world. So and this is another idea that keeps on coming back in the story, right? The comeback story. It's not, it's not about us. When we view our past, our pain, and our disappointment only through the lens of ourselves, what happens? We become angry. We try to hide what happened. We resent it. We want to get even. We try to drink our way through it. You know, we limp along with it. And at the end of the day, we ultimately think about the result that it has at us. I am where I am because that happened. Everything in my life changed because that happened. You know, I see myself through the lens of that every single day, or I see the world around me through the lens of what happened to me every single day. That's what happens. But here is the possibility today that we have a turning point moment where we saw what has happened in our past isn't just about us. I mean, yes, it happened to us. Yes, it happened to you. And I, I mean, listen, I won't take that away. I will never diminish that. I will never belittle that in any way. 
I've walked, I haven't walked in your shoes, but I've walked through pain. I don't know what you've experienced and I don't know what pain that you carried into this place today. All I know is this, it doesn't have to end with you. This is the powerful thing about Joseph's story. Yes, it all happened to me. You, you, he could have just stood up and said, let me tell you my story. Let, let me tell you what happened to me, right? Let me, let me tell you, I was betrayed. I was abused. I was forgotten. I was sold out. Let me tell you that. But he had a turning point somewhere along the way when he realized that his story wasn't just about him, that his story was about everybody else. And that turning point was a game changer for him. And I believe it's a game changer for you and it's a game changer for me. If your past only ends with you, oh man, didn't Bill just say this? <laughs> if your past only ends with you, then God can't begin to write the new story that he's dreaming about. So thank you, Bill, for preaching my message. <laughs> and there has to be a big moment where we open our hands and say, you know what? This isn't just about me. It's really about who God wants to save the world and I get to be a part of it. So when my comeback story becomes about something bigger than me, instead of being angry, I release my anger and, and I release my disappointment. You know, I, I believe that you should be in counseling if you need it. You should, you should have close friends surrounding you and, and lifting you up when you need them. And you should confide in brothers and sisters in Christ, all of that, please do it. But please also come to the place where you release the disappointment and the frustration and the disillusionment and the bitterness and anger to someone who can look back at you and say, see the scars, I took them for you. And to Jesus, then we can say, I've, I've got so much that I've just held on to, but it's all about me. And I'm going to release that, not just to anybody. I'm going to release it to the one who bore those wounds for me. I'm going to believe in the royal blue, the pigment that you're creating. I believe that God is a great painter. Come on, somebody. And one who can take the pigment of a crushed past and light up a canvas in the most beautiful way. So I'm gonna share my story and not hide my story. I'm gonna use my story and not waste my story. I'm gonna walk in it. I'm not gonna limp through it and I'm not gonna deny it. You know, the end of Romans eight is so powerful. It talks about how we are connected to the victory of Jesus. I love Chris Bruce's story about being a victor. It says, in all things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things of the present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. I mean, people, people can deny Jesus and dispute scripture and they can ignore prophecy, but they cannot deny or dispute or ignore God's transformational power in your life. Our stories of pain and adversity and overcoming in Jesus are meant to serve as a testimony of God's faithfulness and power, evidence that God really can take what the devil meant for evil and use it for good. So you know, in the comeback series, I've been telling you parts of my story over the last couple of years, and I'm the pastor who fell in a hole. I'm the pastor who's you know, marriage was ripped apart. And I, I fell into a pit of depression and darkness. And there were, I mean, I've told the story, there were two months of doom and absolute dread that crept into my midnight hours. And can I tell you that this guy on stage today is a person who was out of commission and in a broken down place in life, that was me. And I'm not just telling you about the comeback stories of somebody else. I'm telling you about my comeback, my comeback. I'm telling you, I'm, I'm only standing here today by the grace and the power of Jesus. I remember the day not too long ago when I told the full story, when I fell into you know, darkness and, and pain and of just crying on the bathroom floor and uh, it, it, the room just went silent. I mean, it was pretty quiet in here. That was the quietest Sunday I can remember for a while. Nobody, it felt like nobody was breathing hardly. I think in some ways, some of you were looking at me and it's like, do you need help now? Like, do you need a counselor like right now? <laughs> 
you know, can you even talk about, you know, healing from divorce in the church? Yeah, we can. But do you know what I, I think people were thinking that morning? I think a lot of people, because I've heard that, I've heard the conversations like, oh man, this, this is just somebody who's been where I am. And no, I don't like telling people that I fell into a hole. <laughs> but I can say, from that came my ultramarine blue. Then maybe somebody else will see their pulverized hope, their dream, their marriage, their business, their broken heart as an opportunity for the brush that is still in God's hand. And he can take whatever it is if you will embrace him in it and open your hands up in the process of his healing. You've got to take that turn like Bill was showing us. He can take the divine brush and he can say, let's start with some ultra, ultra marine blue, some royal blue, and let's work out with the brokenness of this paint in the most vivid hue. That's the turning point. God, take your brush and do what only you can do. Walking... Um, through this, and, and I know some of you are like, come on, let's get through the divorce story. We've heard about it enough. I know, I know, but I, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. This is, I, I, I feel like I, I've got to share the kind of the end of my story too. And it's not the end. I know, I know grieving never ends. I know, I know that restoration never ends. He's a restoring God that keeps on restoring. But you know, walking through this has been one of the hardest things I've ever had to walk through. And, and I know some of you are probably... <laughs> getting tired, but I know others of you that are finding healing in this story. And so you, you've told me as much, and for that I'm grateful. But I, I mentioned this last week, people ask me how I'm doing, and I'm surprised even myself at how well I'm doing. Like, I, I don't even know how to communicate it, even. Like, the grief over loss is never forgotten, but there comes a time when the tears don't overwhelm. And I felt the peace that passes understanding and joy overwhelming the river and the desert place that the scriptures talk about in such a tangible way. And Jesus has been faithful to hold and sustain me many times through many of you in the room. And I felt restored and I feel restored. And I said, dare I say that I even feel built back better by a God who in James 1, if you'll remember this, when I was preaching in it right before this all happened through the brother of Jesus says that the trials and the tribulations will bring about endurance, a strength, a new resilience in us. And I feel that I've experienced that. So can I just be open and real and honest with you? Because it feels like that's all I ever am. But <laughs> um, because I, I don't stop now <laughs> because I want to be. Um, is that Okay. Okay, so I told the staff recently that I started talking to someone who happens to be a female. And of course, by saying that, um, I had to backtrack and explain a lot of things, like how in the world did this happen so quickly, right? Um, and, and were you pursuing a relationship? And, and you know, and all the other questions. And I responded and I said, no, I really wasn't pursuing a relationship. In fact, if you know me from two decades of being a youth pastor, some of you guys that have been in the room, you know, I, I'm, I'm not a fan of our American culture of, of dating and trying out different fish in the sea. It doesn't seem very biblical to me. It doesn't seem very healthy. You know, people end up getting hurt. Uh, you know, I'd much rather, Holy Spirit, just direct me to the right person, then I just get to be with her. No awkward dates with people that I don't end up liking. No hard breakups, no ripping apart, you know, all of that. Just bring me the person that you want me to be with God, assuming that you want me to be with somebody. Okay. Well, with that said, <laughs> this is embarrassing, but I went and opened up an app <laughs> that a trusted friend had recommended. And I mean, I really, I mean, I'm honestly saying that I was not looking for a relationship, but I was thinking to myself, if and when I get to that point, how am I going to do this if I'm not going to date? Because I don't like that whole dating thing. So I'm 45 years old. 
I'm recently divorced with seven kids and I'm, I know. <laughs> How do you like to put that on your profile? <laughs> and, <laughs> and I'm pastoring a church and all of that combined just hardly sounds like a catch, you know? Um, it sounds to me more like a lot of roadblocks. And so I was just curious and I created a profile mostly talking about how much I love Jesus, my kids and my ministry. And before long, overnight, I had five ladies who had responded to my profile. I, I, I told you I was just gonna just let it all out, okay? So, you know, hey, I got some validation. You know, that, that kind of felt good. It's really kind of all I wanted, I guess, just to see what things looked like. And so my intention was to just sign off the app and just let it be until I was ready. What, were people are laughing. <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> but then just as I was going to disable my profile, turn it off, you, you know what would happen, right? I saw her. And it was almost as if Holy Spirit was just highlighting a person to me. That's what it felt like. Because I was stuck on that decision to close out that app for about 30 minutes. I was going back and forth. I was opening it and closing it several times until I looked at her profile. I took a big gulp and I responded back and we started messaging the next day and we haven't stopped talking on the phone since. Oh, well, you, yeah, okay. <laughs> and so I, I, I want you to know how fast this feels. And so if you want to respond to this news by saying to me, you know, that I'll respond back. I know <laughs> that's why I was trying to close the app, <laughs> right? So I immediately, this is what happened immediately. I immediately told Paul Kuzma, he's my Foursquare counselor who has been walking with me through this divorce for two years. Um, I told my fight club, the pillars in my life that I talk to almost every week. And one of them recommended that I tell Deanna as soon as possible, so I did, and she was really supportive. Um, the kids have, have all been as well. And all of my direct Foursquare leadership, I just want you to know that they're aware and they know and they approve. And so now I'm making you aware because guess what? You're my family too. Um, and I tell you this for more than a few reasons. Um, one, I'm pretty sure I felt prompted by the Holy Spirit to tell you. Two, um, she and I are gonna go out in public for the first time in a couple of weeks at the Foursquare Convention. Um, and she actually lives just a few blocks from where the event is being held in Anaheim. And... Um, I would rather you hear it from me first than someone who doesn't have all the information. Or their alternative, you know, you seeing pictures on social media and letting your mind run wild, right? Number three, I think this is a part of my story that is filled with hope. And a biblical hope, meaning that I have confidence that God will continue to do good in my life based on his past faithfulness in my life. So I was crushed these last few years, and you heard the story, you've heard it over and over again. It's like, yes, I've heard it. Two months of nights crying on the bathroom floor. I was pulverized. I was broken to bits. But then I've also told you about my worship playlist and singing songs in the middle of the night and my journey along the way from brokenness back to feeling whole. God is faithful and he is so, so good. I don't even, I don't know what's gonna happen in the next year. I, I, I mean, how could I? But here's the picture that God seems to be painting for me right now. I listen, I want you to hear this. I can look back on the past 30 years. That's how long my relationship with my former spouse was, 30 years. I can look back on that and see the beauty in it. And I can thank God for that. I, I, I don't wanna look back with bitterness. I've actually asked God for that. I, I don't want, I, he's been faithful to do that. I love my family. My kids are my world. And I wouldn't have them if my former spouse wasn't a part of that journey. So I'm thankful that we're still friends and, and only God can do that. But when I think about my present, I can't explain to you how full of emotion I've been walking into the sanctuary each week. I've talked about this. Um, uh, how my heart leaps when I see your faces and the beauty of how this, this church, you, you the people in this building carried me through one of the most broken seasons of my life. 
And I am just so grateful. My heart is overwhelmed with gratitude. It's almost like God is taking the rubble and the ashes from my brokenness of this past season and painting for me in the hue of ultramarine blue. Not because I'm deity or special or holy, but because Jesus is all of those things. And I've attached myself to him and I clung to him with my life when I was in the darkest places. And he's been so faithful to be my strength and my hope and my peace and even my joy as I've walked out of the desert places. So destiny for me has been a scene colored royal blue. Can you see that picture with me? Serious, I'm I'm serious. And then I don't want to embarrass her or call her out. So I wasn't even going to give you her name, but then I asked her about it and she said that I could. So I will in just a second. But this friendship that has started with this person has brought me so much hope. And dare I say joy, right? And if I were to show you a picture of her this morning, I would pick one with her wearing the color royal blue. Because it feels like, again, God has taken the most broken parts of my life, the crushed pieces and formed them into a powder and has been able to paint a picture for me that is so beautiful and rich and so good. I mean, who knows where God is gonna take this journey. I'm trying to do what Paul Kuzma is instructing me to do and make more friendship deposits than romantic ones. But in my heart, it just feels like God is answering my prayer again of just bringing to me a friend who is already changing my life and filling me with so much hope. And the picture that he is painting all around me is just one of the most beautiful that I've ever seen. And so I'm gonna ask you to pray as I continue my journey, as we continue our journey, I believe God has good plans and he is an amazing artist and he paints in the most beautiful colors. So, and just so you're aware, I think it's, I think it's good for you to know, um, Pastor Brent is gonna be my roomie in California. And so he'll not only get to be one of the first ones to get to meet her in person, but he, but he also gets to be the on-duty chaperone. <laughs> oh, um, Pastor Sandy and, and John are going to be there as well. Um, and, but secondly, I, I wanted to tell you that she's part of the, the Church of God in Christ denomination. Um, and so Bishop Troy is also in on the conversation. And it is so great. He's calling himself my rabbi <laughs> now as he's teaching me. Um, <laughs> but, but since we're here at this moment, I'm just going to just say, go ahead and do your best internet snooping. <laughs> Her name is Kimberly Stewart. And some of you probably already noticed her presence online. Um, And can I, is it okay? Can I just, Pastor Brent suggested this um, because you're family. Can I just tell you just a little bit about her? Um, She loves God so much. She loves God so much. Um, She's active in in her church, which if you didn't know was launched out of the same Azusa Street outpouring that Foursquare was hundred years ago. She's spirit filled. Um, she's active and leading a weekly kids Bible study. She leads worship regularly and uh, she has the best smile, um, maybe partly because she's a pediatric dentist assistant, <laughs> um, but she also has the best laugh, right? Some of you know that. And because I know somebody's going to want to know, yes, she knows I have seven kids <laughs> and yes, So you have no fear. She knows that I'm called to serve here at Destiny, and so I'm not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad I get a clap for that. (laughs) That's good. Okay. So there you have it. There you have it. I'm glad that you clapped earlier too. That, That blessed my heart. There you have it. I've been on a journey, and I'm still on a journey. And part of my journey right now is Kimberly Tanasha Stewart. (laughs) And so if you want, you can all wave to her and her mom and her friend Ty that are, I don't even know who else is watching today, but I I know they're, they're, they're watching. Um, She's actually, she's not watching live, but she'll, she'll be watching the archive of this. She's actually um, leading worship this morning. She's doing a special, she's emceeing a special service that they're doing at her church out in Anaheim. But um, 
I'm glad that you all know about her now. And uh, I hope you can celebrate with me on this part of my story. Because it's, it's, it's all hues of ultram- ultramarine blues for me. So there was some joking around. I'll close with this. And the band can come up. And we're going to end in just a second. But there was some joking around from um, some friends of mine early on in sabbatical that this season would bring about my Phil Collins out an album. Um, you know... And if you don't know, the Grammy Award-winning, you know, pop artist famously went through a divorce and then came out, he came out of it writing some of the most applauded songs in his career. And I remember him talking about it. He was getting interviewed and he said that those songs wouldn't exist without the pain. And it takes me back to the words that Joseph spoke out with such conviction. You meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. I'm holding on to that. And I hope that this string of comeback stories that we've been sharing from scripture and from real life will give you confident hope too in a God that you can trust with the tapestry of your heart, that he is a brilliant finisher. And if I hadn't had some kind of connection to the heart of God in this last season, I don't know where it would have ended up. I look back and I think maybe there would have just been ashes, but now he's taken those and he's made something beautiful. You know, maybe there just would have been pain, but now there's a lot of purpose. And I know there's God's promises that I can see very clearly in my life. And one thing I've realized through this journey is that our scars They're not just records of our wounds. They're also a display of our healing. When I tell my story and when I think back on what I've been through, yes, I see the pain, but I also see with all clarity that God has brought me through it. And how all of these things tell the story of his goodness that scars tell the story of his kindness and his mercy and his power in my life. And that's, that's my comeback. I, I can see ultramarine blue, royal blue in my story. And God will do that for you too. Amen. Yeah. Let's pray. God, we can't see the whole picture, but we can know with all confidence that in all things, you work. You're working for our good in all things. Sometimes we can't see it. We don't know how. And it feels like that the part of the journey that we're on is just all pain, it's all hurt, it's all dark. But you are the one that pulls us out of the pit God, when we hold on to you, we hold on to the vine, you give us strength, you give us peace, you give us even joy. You, we sang it earlier, you're the victory. Claim a victory in your name. I thank you. I don't know how to say it, but just thank you for the journey. Thank you. Thank you for all the pieces of the story. God, we know that you are good in all of it. And, and so I just wanna say to you in this place, we've been going around and around and around and telling these stories and we've got one more week of the comeback story, but you know, maybe you've been walking through something, you've been in so much pain, you've been in a season where it's been just like, oh, dark. I just want you to know that God can take the rubble and the powder that comes from those broken pieces and he can paint a new picture for you. That's what he does. So Father God, for every single one that may be in a dark place right now, maybe it's our loved ones that aren't in this room, God, we lift them up in your name. And God, I just pray, I just pray, I just pray that you will give them the wisdom, the boldness, the faith, the peace, the hope to walk out of that place and to let you paint a picture that is so beautiful. You are a redeeming God. You're a restorative God. You are a build back better God. That is who you are. Thank you for your word spoken over us today. You're so faithful. You're so faithful. If you are here this morning 
and you don't know Jesus, before we close out the service and we take our, our, our time to, to give, I wanna invite you to know Jesus because he is the author and the finisher of our faith. <laughs> he completes the good work in us, right, it says. And he began in us. And so your story isn't over yet. Your story isn't over yet. And I believe that even if you aren't a follower of Jesus yet, that he's chasing after you even now. So if, Holy, if, if you've felt that nudge this morning to just respond, whether it's a coming back or resurrendering your life or uh, maybe for the first time to follow this Jesus, you can take the brokenness and paint a new picture in your life. I just, I just wanna give you that opportunity this morning. So with nobody looking around, every head bowed and every eye closed, um, I just wanna, I want you, if you're in this room this morning, uh, would you just raise your hand and say, yes, that's me. Or, I wanna resurrender my life or I wanna give my life to Jesus for the first time. I want to pray with you this morning. All right, I want us all to pray this prayer together. Can you say, Father God, Father God, I give you my heart. I give you my heart. I give you my life. I give you my life. I want to follow you. Follow you. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for the brokenness that you endured. To give me a new life. To paint a new picture for me. I want to follow you. With all of who I am. In your mighty name we pray. Amen.